Hello everyone and welcome to the final episode in this series of the Nature Friendly Farming Network podcast with me Will Evans and my brother in podcasting and co-host Ben Eagle and today we are in God's country my beloved Wales to talk to farmer chief executive at the Food Farming and Countryside Commissioner all round wonderful person Sue Pritchard. <laughs> as, as listeners will know by now uh, throughout this series we've been concentrating on a different part of NWFN's Rethink Farming report in each episode and today it's the turn of the final section prosperity which we'll discuss in more detail shortly but first of all Sue welcome to the show thanks so much for coming on as Bill mentioned you are a farmer Tell us about your farm and what's going on. So um, thank you for having me. Delighted to be here. You know how much I love your work, both of you. So uh, it's always a thrill to get asked to join you. Um, and yes, I'm speaking to you from my farm in the heart of Monmouthshire. It's the best part of God's own country. <laughs> in, in <Rutgers>. Steady. <laughs> we can fight about that later, Will, but uh, obviously I'll win. Um, and, uh, and I have a small farm here. It's a small organic livestock farm. And we are, we've had a little bit of a change actually in the last few years. We've um, moved more towards farming um, high quality organic pasture fed beef. And uh, we've got a little herd of suckler cows and Herefords. And they're very beautiful and very lovely to work with. But I've still got uh, a small herd, a small flock of sheep, and, and we've got we've got some um, rare breed pigs and goats and and horses. And uh, just this year, we've managed to produce a beautiful uh, filly foal from our Suffolk mare, which ah. was one of our exciting. One of only thirteen born this year. So we, we do lots, lots, of, lots of small things here, but I think it's that variety that um, makes, makes it also very, very pleasurable to, to do. Yeah. And wh- where did your interest in farming come from originally? My family, I'm, I'm from the Rhondda Valley. I'm from the, the deepest um, valleys of Wales in the Rhondda Valley. And my family were either smallholders farmers or miners went down the mines and my father um, went down the mines he um, he became a colliery manager eventually having worked his way up um, from you know starting at 15 but I think his heart was always with his uncles and his cousins in farming and so he spent a lot of time with um, with family on their farms and um, I had a little Welsh pony when I was growing up we used to fantasize my father and I about one day maybe having a farm and uh, but it wasn't until it was 21 years ago now just over 20 years ago that we managed to do that so we we moved to our farm here in Monmouthshire in 2001 it was foot and mouth year and my parents and I came together my, my father was in his he was in his 70s by then he was a, a very early 70s but it absolutely felt like a dream come true for both of us. And he carried on being extremely helpful, doing very dangerous things. And really, <laughs> until he um, really until he died. And when I used to shout at him to say, stop trying to pull sheep out of ditches, you're out of sex. He'd say, I'd rather live on my feet than die on my knees. And I think that's... That's that's true for lots of farmers I know. It's not yeah. it's not 
it's not like doing a job. It is um, a whole way of living, a way of being. It um, it's in your bones, isn't it? And yeah. and and I feel incredibly privileged to be able to live where I do and do what I do on the farm and 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 in the commission. Yeah, that's so lovely. So tell us about your work at the at the Food Farming Countryside Commission. So, I mean, for listeners who might not know, can you tell us a bit about the organisation um, first of all, and then and then what you do there? Yeah, sure. So, so I'm the chief exec of the charity. It's an independent UK charity with teams across all four of the home nations. So we've got teams in Northern Ireland, in Scotland, in Wales, and in England. And our, our mission has always been to bring more diverse voices, more people together to try and find some kind of radical and practical ways to improve climate, nature, health and well-being and, and really the rural economy in a, in a just transition in tackling those big, big challenges. So we, we commission or conduct and publish research and we've published a number of reports. Our main report was our future in the land back in 2019. Um, but we've published a number of reports that build on those recommendations since then, particularly around agroecology and the economic case for agroecology and around affordability and local food systems. Um, but perhaps the most important for me is one of the most interesting things about what we do and the way that we do it is how we how we try and involve people and people's voices and people's stories in thinking about policy and, and future policy development. So we, um, we had our famous bike tour when we were doing our research back in 2018, where my researchers literally cycled around the whole of the UK over nine months. You know, Will, because you were <laughs> in that story. Yeah. And, and, and the whole point of that was to really get out to those places that most research projects just don't reach but also to meet people where they are on their farms, their businesses and schools, yeah. in, in community groups and so on, and really talk to people about things that matter to them and ask them to show us the things that matter to them and then tell us things that concern them. And that whole process of trying to, to involve people and work with people in a really straightforward way, kind of letting go of some of the stuff that often traditional research gets caught up in very academic language or very policy language trying to let go of all of that just talking to people in really straightforward ways about what really matters to people I think that's for me that's one of the very important ways about how we try and do our do our business do our work and then we want to share those stories we want to tell those stories so we spend a lot of time um, putting together things like our field guide which is just sharing illuminating amplifying the stories that people tell us so that they're visible to many many more people no and i I guess all that ties in really nicely with today's theme of prosperity and that was one of the reasons why um as ben mentioned we wanted to talk to you for this episode and there's a great section in the NWFN report by Professor Tim Benton, and I'll, I'll, I'll quote it the rural economy depends to a large extent on the natural capital embedded in the countryside natural capital the value to people of the natural environment and the services it provides underpins food production through soil fertility suitable climate pollination and natural uh, enemy services that help prevent pest outbreaks over the next decade the profitability of sustainable agriculture will become increasingly apparent especially in the uk as public monies invested in agriculture change where perhaps only those farms that truly value natural capital 
will survive. And I, I guess that's something that uh, all NFFN members will will strongly agree with. Um, and I, I, I would think you will as well. Why do you think that's so important? It underpins, doesn't it? Some of the really, really big challenges that we're all facing, not, not just in farming, actually, but across all thinking about how an economy can work. I mean, I'm a massive fan of Tim Benton. In fact, all my favourite people are, in fact, called Tim. And um, <laughs> one, of our, one of our other commissioners, including my husband, you'll be pleased to hear. <laughs> but one, one of my other... Um, one of my other favourite Tims is, is Tim Jackson, Professor Tim Jackson, who's one of our commissioners, who wrote a brilliant, brilliant book called Prosperity Without Growth. And, and he really encourages us to think about prosperity in much broader terms. And one of the ways um, he talks about prosperity in, in that book is about human flourishing. And I think the work, you know, what, what Tim is highlighting here, Tim Benton is highlighting here, and what NFFN do so well is to think about, um, you know, how, how a, a, a farm landscape, how a farm business can flourish in a way that um, nourishes all the component parts of it. So it's not extractive, it's generative. Um, and, and we know that the extractive mindset, you know, what can we what can we rip out of the land for short term profit has come to the end of the road. It's absolutely come to the end of the road. And, you know, lots, lots of farmers who might have thought some of this stuff was all kind of pink and fluffy and and a bit sentimental are watching the price of inputs going through the roof and recognizing that you can't keep, you know, chucking inputs at farming in the hope that you can you know extract every last bit of profit profitability out without thinking about how you replenish um all of the you know the natural resources that we have available to us um on our land so you know this this is absolutely at the heart i think of the big questions um that are in front of us but i mean the good the good news is that you know nffn and others, you know, other farmer groups and other research bodies like the work that we've been doing with IDRI, mapping out a transition, a plausible and economically and agronomically plausible transition to agroecology, points out that it's it's not it's not pie in the sky. It's incredibly practical, but it does require the right conditions to be put in place for that to happen. And you know, we're going to talk about policy, I'm sure, at some point today. Yeah. But the, the things that farmers are doing already is just kind of putting those really practical conditions in place on their farms, in their businesses, so that they will be able to flourish with a different and a much more sustainable version of prosperity than I think we've we've lived with in the past. Mm. And w- what message would you give to those people that still say, um, that yield is the only thing that counts and, and do you think those people are actually in reality getting less in number um, particularly as a new generation of farmers comes through well i think so i mean you know that 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 little you know example i gave earlier i think is is really having an input the fact that you know even even the most conventionally orientated farmers who would have thought all of this stuff was all a bit you know all a bit fluffy are looking at their feed bill, they're looking at their bills, their feed bills, their input bills, their fertilizer bills, their diesel bills, and just thinking this doesn't add up anymore. You know, productivity and yield are ridiculous um, indicators. If you're not thinking about 
you know, the cost of your inputs really, really carefully and thinking about how you can absolutely minimise the, the cost of inputs, not, not just financially, but also the impact that those, in, that those inputs are having on the farm. And the examples in the you know, NFFN report are beautiful. You know, the stories that people are telling and the really practical examples, you know, reducing costs by a couple of hundred thousand pounds a year in cases mm-hmm. and you know, really ramping up profitability as a result, as well as regenerating the farm landscape you know those are really practical and serious stories and I think they're absolutely massively you know flowing through to all farmers now and I think it's almost becoming quite difficult I think as farmers to to not take this seriously now I think you're right as the new generation comes through these old ways of thinking about things just feel just moribund yeah I mean we've seen loads of stories those both of both through the podcast, through other podcasts we do as well, and and again through this report, the, in the report as well, the three former NWFN podcast guests, actually Tony Davis, uh, Helen Keys, Patrick Barker, um, they all talk about how their businesses improved and become more profitable as a result of making space for nature and be- mm. being less intensive. Just interested in, I mean, clearly through FFCC and through all the, the myriad of work you do there, um, you would have spoken to lots of uh, lots of farmers with similar stories. Um, yeah. I just wonder if you have have any examples of, of people like that. Well, absolutely. I mean, the, the story is coming up over and over again, and, and it's Johnny Balfour in Scotland who, you know, describes you know, super clearly how reducing his inputs literally saved him two hundred thousand pounds a year and just added on to farm profitability. Um, and then I think the other thing that it's worth mentioning as well is that doing less releases more time. It's it's a, it's one of the the old permaculture principles that you kind of manage your energy flows mm. in the farm and actually we need to think about our own energy to some extent as well you know and and when you're when you're doing less when there are less processes needed in in the farming year it does give you more time to think and to plan and to you know work work differently with your farm and and with your land so we, we hear that story as well it, it's saving farmers money but it's also giving them time and headspace to do different things and to think differently and I think the other thing that I that I hear a lot about is the is the enjoyment that farmers are getting collaborating with each other and talking to each other about their experience about the experiments they're undertaking about what they're learning from the transition it feels like lots of farmers feel that they're in this together that we have a massive challenge in front of us as a farming community to uh, to play our part in tackling the climate and nature crisis in, in a fair and just way and and you know working together as a community on those challenges is 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 actually quite inspiring and encouraging and has great benefits i think for farmers mental health let's uh, let's talk about supply chains um we're seeing them talked about uh, on the front pages um, uh, and on, on on the news at 10 and um, perhaps more than they have been for generations and many farmers um, are selling some of their produce directly now to consumers um, in, in lots of innovative ways and Ben and I um, to varying degrees are, are doing that as well what kind of benefits do you think can that bring um, to both farm businesses and the local community and is there scope to do much more in this area do you think yeah I think there's, there's there's loads that we can do. I mean, again, it's 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 part of the rethinking the whole food system um, challenge, isn't it? Um, but there is there is there's lots more that I think can be done. 
before I before I go on to say that, I will I will just say, but of course it requires a reinvestment in processing. You know, we yeah. we talk a lot about the loss of the small abattoirs. You know, for for those of us who are wanting to sell direct to customers livestock, um, then having to you know truck animals a long distance for what ends up being you know small scale or gets called private kill um numbers is is not good it's not good for animal welfare and it you know adds an additional cost um so before i go on to say i think there are huge benefits to both farm businesses and to communities and to citizens we clearly need to rebalance and reinvest in that whole chain and you know, from our point of view at FFCC in our definition of agroecology it is about investing um, in, in the whole of the value chain so that both you know farmers and citizens can get more value out of it directly but but you know it, it obviously goes without saying if you're selling directly you're keeping much more of the, the value of your product and your community uh, you know, are seeing much more of the value of that product and there's all I think there's all sorts of you know lovely additional ways when you're selling to people that you know and they're buying from you they 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 know so much more the provenance of the product that they're eating and it it, it just is bringing us back in this country I think potentially to a different relationship with food that it's not you know not just the cheapest processed stuff that we can you know whiz into the supermarket to buy but we're starting to think again about where our food comes from how it's grown what we're eating and how we're eating it and that you know that was a really important benefit I think that people reflected on through the particularly the early stages of the pandemic when we have to think when we're having to think about these things really really quickly suddenly all of that mattered I mean there's one thing that you deal with a lot at the FFCC that's policy um we obviously know that direct payments to farmers and food producers are being phased out um which is a a massive change for all of us and something that uh, a lot of us yeah we all think about all the time at the moment um whether you agree with them or not uh what would you ideally like to see with the new support systems throughout the uk because of course we'll have different systems in different parts of the yeah. uk um and this does play a big part in rural prosperity really yeah yeah absolutely no it, it does and i think people often talk about farm subsidies as you know a, a thing that goes to the farmer and you know the farmers you know just trouser it and and that's that's where it stops i mean that might be true for one or two people but actually that money's quickly recycled into the rural economy yeah. it's quickly recycled into um into the, the farming economy but it's also recycled into the broader rural economy into um you know other other local businesses my, my colleagues in Cumbria have, do, have done some sums about how much will be coming out of the rural economy the whole of the rural economy not just farm um farm budgets and it's it's really really significant and and the knock-on effect of that I think is really poorly understood in policy terms so I think yeah we, we are all worried and concerned about what the new support systems will look like and the extent to which they will have far-reaching impacts as well as for individual farmers i think that the, the the biggest issue at the moment is the the amount of resource that is 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 being allocated to the new farm payments and whether that in any way reflects the work that will be needed for um 
the environmental schemes that they're there to support. So big question here. Um, what is your vision for a prosperous farming community, Sue? What does that look like? Um, and, and is that different to what we have now? I suppose, I suppose putting a positive light on that, what we have now, what are the positives in that? What are yeah. we doing right? Well, you know, as, as we all know on this call, farming is an incredibly diverse sector. And so it, it, when, you, when, the, when you kind of get to the gritty reality of it, it is sometimes quite hard to, you know, describe in a few words what the whole farming sector or the whole farming community looks like or feels like or thinks about anything because the diversity is, mm. is really um, great. But I suppose when I, when I think about what a prosperous farming community could look like in the future, it's about, it's about balance and it's about well-being and it's about increasing our collective capabilities for flourishing, recognizing that you know, we, we do have finite resources on this planet and we have to find a better way of nurturing those resources, looking after those resources and making sure that those resources are fairly shared mm. with more people, because that's just not the case at the moment within the UK and certainly not the world. So I suppose what I'd, what I'd like to see is a farming community that is itself more equitable, that you know, we don't have some farmers who you know, are, are able to exploit particular ways of going on whereas other farmers are having to work extremely hard to make a decent living from the work that they do. But also that the whole of the farming sector is playing its part in working in a way that creates um, you know, with great, greater social cohesion, I suppose, and reduces our impact on our environment. So, so for me, a prosperous future is about us all having enough together and um, you know, re reducing you know, inequalities as a result and reducing, rapidly reducing our impacts on, um, on the living world and on the environment. Hmm. I really like that together aspect, um, especially when you talk of, I suppose, linking that to organisations um, like FFCC, like NFFN. Um, what do you think is the role of organizations like NFFN, what role can they play in, in getting us to that pros prosperous future? One of the things that I really love about NFFN is, is just the really practical way it connects farmers with farmers to work out what we can get on and do ourselves straight away. And that is both inspiring and incredibly practical because we're all you know fundamentally practical people we kind of you know look across our fields across our land you know and and we want to know how we can make things work and that's exactly what NFFN does really really well you know Martin's a brilliant leader in that it, and 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 the practicality in turn becomes really inspiring so it makes other farmers the nature curious rather than the early adopters actually want to step in and join what you know frankly looks like a great party in the end <laughs> a bunch of people working you know with great enthusiasm and support for each other and i think that's incredibly powerful yeah 
yeah i i totally agree now when i when i when i was putting together today's questions found a found a great few lines about you online i think i think it was on the groundswell website but, um it said uh, Sue lives with her family on an organic permaculture livestock farm in Wales, which accounts for pretty much all her time outside of FFCC and is a grounding reminder of the gritty realities of turning ideas into workable action. So, and, 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 and that grounding, I've had a lot of grounding reminders this week and it really, it really made me laugh um, because that's farming, isn't it? And we all have these best laid plans and, and how it's all going to work out. Um, but as we all know, it doesn't usually happen like that. But it does give me um, a lot of hope that people such as yourself who know this and are so much a part of our communities are working so hard on our behalf. And, and does that responsibility, though, does that does that weigh heavily on you sometimes? Mm. I'm just going to tell you about my best laid plan that I'm looking I'm looking out the window at my best laid plans going completely away. So. I was saying at the start, I just cut back my sheep flock, kept kept back just my Jacobs to have, you know, a decorative flock with a breeding program and bought a lovely Jacob tub. And um, we've been lambing early and there's not a single Jacob amongst them. So somehow <laughs> another, another, another ram, I think it was our bottle fed, my husband's bottle fed, or hoppy, hopped over and um, got in in front of the Jacob. So I've got a small flock of pure purebred Jacob use with a whole bunch of little black lambs. <laughs> about them. So that'll teach me for thinking I could plan but but yes back back on whether the responsibility weighs heavy on me well I think it helps that I'm a very old woman and I've been You're doing this work for, no, I, I very, very, very very much am and I've, I've I kind of been so I've been doing work like this for, for quite a long time so I, I think I probably do have a certain kind of resilience that comes with you know plugging away and plugging away at plugging away and 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 at this point in time I can be hugely optimistic that for some really really important things that lots of us have been working on for such a long time we're getting to tipping points so i i'm I'm, and that makes me feel incredibly privileged to be able to do this work at this point in time with the incredible people that i get to work with the people that i you know get to work with and collaborate with and hang out with and chat to on podcasts it's an absolute privilege to be part of this group of folk who are you know coming together pulling together to try and make really really practical and urgent progress on things that we all care so passionately about so if I thought about it I think I'd probably have an absolute panic attack and have to drink yet more (laughs) wine but but actually mostly mostly I just think I am so lucky to be able to do what I do with the people that I do it with okay all right, then, final question, um, because uh, I know you're busy and we're recording this on a Friday afternoon. I think we've all had a long week. Um, well, we've asked this question to every guest throughout this series and I really had a really interesting range of responses. But what does rethink farming mean to you? And, and you can interpret it however you'd like to. And I think I think we've touched on answers to that all the way through this lovely conversation. And you know, for me, Rethinking farming is about us all as a, as, a, as a community, as a sector, really taking responsibility and stepping up to the huge challenges in front of us, the huge you know, existential challenges in front of us 
climate, nature, and a, and a you know a, a fairer economy for everyone, and really being able to play our part in that. Because as so many people say now, we may have been in part part of the problem, but we're also absolutely critical to the solutions. Because whatever else we can do without in the coming years and decades, we will not be able to do without food. Mm. And we will not be able to do without um, a flourishing countryside and environment. And farming is absolutely central to that. So for me, rethinking farming is really stepping up to that, that challenge and that opportunity and coming together as, as a community, as a sector, and really punching well, well, well above our weight. Oh. So whenever I hear you speak, you always make me feel more optimistic. It's all, it's always, <laughs> I love, I love hearing you speak. And Great way to end the series. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on, especially for this final episode. Um, oh, it's yeah. my pleasure. You know, I love you both. I'm such fans of you and, and it's just lovely to um, get to hang out with you on a Friday. Oh, well, oh. hopefully we'll catch up in person this summer. Now everything's opening again. Exactly. Yes, absolutely. That would be really, really good. Yes, I should look forward to it. For everyone listening, um, thank you as always for being part of this amazing podcast. Will and I love, um, we really, really love doing this. Um, so, but thank you uh, for getting involved listening. Um, and thank you also for all the feedback and, and positive comments that we've received throughout this series. It's been a particularly special one. Um, but the podcast is absolutely nothing without you. So thank you very much. Take care and we'll hopefully see you again very soon.